The first thing to see here is that this was a unilateral covenant, a one-way covenant. Notice that God didn't pass through the pieces along with Abram. In fact, Abram didn't pass through the pieces. He was busy sleeping. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. I want to continue my survey of Genesis, so in this episode, we're going to look at chapters 15 and 16. To begin, let me quickly review what we've seen up to this point to get us up to speed. The first 11 chapters of Genesis set the stage for Abraham, who is the ancestor of the Israelites, the Jews. Remember, Moses is writing Genesis to the Israelite people who recently escaped their slavery in Egypt. God miraculously delivered them from their bondage to the Egyptians by leading them through the Red Sea. The Exodus event happened over 400 years after Abraham. So in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see the power of God who created all things by the power of his word. We also see that man is God's special creation. Unfortunately, all of mankind fell from sinlessness into depravity when Adam disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit. But not only that, we saw the effects of sin as one brother killed another. Yet this wasn't an isolated incident. Over the next several hundred years, the wickedness of mankind was great. Therefore, God sent a global flood to destroy all living things. However, because God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 to destroy Satan by the offspring of the woman, he had to rescue someone. So God rescued Noah and his family from the flood. And after the flood event, the earth was repopulated and Abram arrives on the scene. God calls Abram to go to the land of Canaan because he's going to give him that land. So Abram leaves Ur of the Chaldeans and he goes to Canaan. And then shortly thereafter, he takes a quick trip to Egypt and almost gets himself in trouble. And then he comes back to the place where he had first come. Later, he meets Melchizedek, who was a Christ-like figure. And that brings us up to chapter 15. The first six verses are very important, not to say that the rest of the chapter or the book or the Bible isn't important. However, we find an important theological principle in the first six verses. In these verses, the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he tells Abram that he is his shield and his reward will be great. But Abram tells God that he has no heir, no child to pass on his inheritance. Abram is aware that a reward is meaningless unless he can pass it on to his child, which he doesn't have. Abram seems confused because the closest thing that he has is a member of his household. And here God reveals that Abram will have a son and he will be his heir. Keep in mind that Abram is an old man. And we learned in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, that his wife was unable to produce children. So then God takes Abram outside and he shows him the sky. And he tells him to number the stars if he is able. Now, in our cities of light, it's very difficult to appreciate what Abram really saw. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of what the sky really looks like at night, just filled with stars. Abram would have seen hundreds, if not thousands of stars. And this is the number of offspring that Abram will have. Keep in mind, Abram has no children. He's old and his wife can't produce children. And God is telling him that he's going to have this many offspring. 
Is God being literal here? No, because Abram's offspring have reached into the millions throughout history. God is using the stars as an illustration. So God makes this outlandish promise to Abram. And what is Abram's response? He believed. And here's the key. God counted Abram's faith as righteousness. This is a key doctrine in the Christian faith. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But not only that, we're justified by faith, not by our obedience. Paul tells us that in Romans. First, take a look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. By faith we have been justified. That's a passive verb. We didn't do something to justify ourselves. God justified us. And the means by which he justified us is our faith in Christ. Second, look at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And here Paul refers to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Notice that Paul is referring to you there in verse 5. You believe in Christ. Like Abraham, who is Abram, your faith is counted as righteousness. So what is God looking for from you? Well, many people would say that God is looking for obedience. Well, it's true that God wants us to obey, but what if you can't obey? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7 that sin still lives in us. In other words, you won't perfectly obey God in this life. You will struggle. You will want to obey, but you will sin. So now what? What God wants you to do is believe him. Not just believe that he exists. He wants you to believe him. To believe that whatever he says is true. Remember what got us in trouble in the first place. Had Adam believed God, he wouldn't have eaten the forbidden fruit. Believing God is the first step in obeying God. Said another way, if you don't believe God, you won't obey God. So God is ultimately looking for you to believe him. To believe him is to acknowledge him as a truth teller. Not believing him is an assumption that he's not a truth teller, which is an affront to his character. You see, it implies that he's lying. Really, that's what Adam did when he ate the forbidden fruit. He believed the serpent over God. He believed Satan over God. So coming back to Abram, as we've just seen, God made a promise to him and he believed God. And as a result of believing God, God counted Abram's faith as righteousness. Was Abram righteous? No, we'll see that Abram paid the price for sin. We see in Genesis chapter 25 that he dies. Death is the penalty for sin. So Abram was not righteous, but God declared him righteous because he counted Abram's faith as righteousness. And then in verse 7, God makes a declarative statement. 
He tells Abram that he is the God who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan, land that he will possess. God is the initiator of the promise. God is the one who brought Abram out of this land to the promised land. This is salvation imagery here. He used the same language with the Israelites following the exodus from their slavery in Egypt. Take a look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. This is the Ten Commandments. But notice how God begins verse 2. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Quite frankly, the principle is the same for us in Christ. We didn't come to Christ on our own. God brought us to Christ. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now move a few more verses down and take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. And it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So not only is Abram a real historic person, but the events that affect his life point to Christ. When God called him to move from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan, the promised land, God was acting out the salvation story. We have been called out of spiritual death to eternal life in Christ. We've moved from sinful earth to the promised land, which we will enter when Christ returns. We will see how many of these historic events point to Jesus and redemption in Christ. You can also listen to episode 8 where I talk about this idea in more detail. So after God identified himself as the God who brought Abram to this land, Abram responds by asking how he will know that he will possess this land. God then tells him to bring several animals to him, so Abram did. Then Abram cut the animals in half except the birds and placed the halves apart from one another. Then Abram fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, the Lord said to him that his descendants will be captive for over 400 years. However, God will judge their captors, and his descendants will return to this land. God is telling Abram about the Israelites' captivity in the future. The audience of Genesis are those Israelites who left that captivity in Egypt and are now walking through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Many of them saw firsthand God's judgment on Egypt. They saw the water crash in on the Egyptian army as they pursued the Israelites through the parted waters of the Red Sea. They can see here that God told Abram about their captivity. Not only that, they see here that God will indeed give them the land that God promised to Abram. But notice how God assures Abram that his descendants will possess land. He simply says no for certain. God's word is enough. God cannot lie, so when he says something is true, it's true. We find something very interesting in verse 17. Remember those animal parts? Remember those animals that Abram cut in half? Look at what verse 17 says. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these parts. What in the world is that? Well, this is a covenant being made. 
The cut animals represent those who make the covenant if they violate the terms of the covenant. In other words, if I pass through the pieces while making a covenant, I'm saying, let this happen to me if I violate the terms of the covenant. But what about the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch that pass through the pieces? Well, these are symbols of God. That means that God passed through the pieces, which means that God incurs the penalty for the violation of the covenant. Not that God would violate the covenant, because that's impossible for him. That would violate his character. The first thing to see here is that this was a unilateral covenant, a one-way covenant. Notice that God didn't pass through the pieces along with Abram. In fact, Abram didn't pass through the pieces. He was busy sleeping. God alone, through the symbols of the smoking fire pot and flaming torch, passed through the animal pieces. Second, as I've already mentioned, God will incur the penalty for violating the covenant. If God can't violate the covenant because it's against his character, why would he make such a promise? He did this to assure Abram of his promise to him. But it seems there's more here. Listen to Robert Harbach. It was by this action that God was saying, If you break my covenant, then I will die for you, so that you will not have to die. God assumed the penalty for our violation of the covenant. Once again, we have a clear picture of Christ in view. Now, perhaps you think I'm making this up concerning the symbolism for God. However, Moses tells us what the meaning of the symbolism is in verse 18. God made a covenant on that day. Keep in mind, Abram was sleeping. This validates the unilateral covenant that God made with Abram. God alone passed through the animal parts while Abram slept. God made a promise that he would give this land to Abram's descendants. Now put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness. They just left Egypt and Moses is leading them to the promised land. That is the land that God promised to Abram. And this should confirm to them that they will indeed possess the land that God promised to Abram because God made a covenant that day with Abram. Now let's move to chapter 16. I'm not going to spend much time here, but we'll review the event. Sarai, the wife of Abram, was unable to produce children. So she came up with a brilliant idea. Well, the plan was brilliant in her mind, but it actually caused more problems than it solved. Keep in mind, when we try to help God by doing things our way, we usually mess things up badly. And that's what happens here. Because Sarai couldn't produce children, she gave her servant Hagar over to Abram so that she could produce a child in Sarai's stead. Now, we find a parallel here. Look at the end of verse 2. And Abram listened to his wife, Sarai. Where else do we see that? Well, something similar in the Garden of Eden. Take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Eve ate the fruit, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not blaming these women. On the contrary, I'm blaming the men. Had they believed God and trusted him, they would not have done what they did, which created more problems. You see, Abram takes matters in his own hands. Instead of trusting that God would cause Sarai to become pregnant, he listened to Sarai's advice. 
So Hagar conceived Abram's son. Well, this didn't make Sarai very happy. In fact, she mistreated Hagar, and Hagar fled. Yet in her distress, God blessed her, and she bore a son to Abram, and his name was Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Do you see the type of man that Abram was? A man of faith who had weak faith. He believed God when he made a promise that his own son would be his heir. However, he didn't believe that God would produce a child through Sarai, so he took matters into his own hands. In his mind, having a child through Hagar fit the prophecy of God. His own son would be his heir. However, God doesn't need our help. He was going to produce the promised child through Abram's wife, not her servant. And God will do it against all odds. The only way a barren woman can conceive is if God causes the conception. Does this bring anyone else to mind? Well, this should remind you of the Virgin Mary. She too conceived by the power of God. However, unlike Sarai, who produced Abram's child, Mary conceived a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus didn't have a human father. And with this in mind, the birth of Jesus is far more miraculous than a barren woman conceiving a child by her husband. God made a promise to Abram that he would give him numerous offspring. God can't lie, which means that this was certain to happen. When he tells us something, we must believe it because it's true. As a result of believing God, he counts our faith as righteousness. However, we see Abram as the man of faith, weak in his faith. Though he believed that God would give him offspring, he sought to fulfill God's promise by his own means. This man we hail as a hero of the faith was just as weak in his faith as we are. Remember, you can trust God. He is a truth teller and a promise keeper. And thankfully, the covenant that God makes with us is based on his word alone, not our faith or actions. But God is not only a promise keeper, a covenant keeper. He has the power to fulfill his covenant, even by making barren women fruitful. He even brought forth our Savior through the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is trustworthy, and by trusting him, he counts your faith as righteousness. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.